Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. MLS fans start each season with the genuine belief rooted in history that their team has a chance to win it all. For me, that's what makes MLS fun. It's what makes MLS unique. And it's what makes MLS, from top to bottom, truly the most competitive league in the world. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking the unique parody that exists in Major League Soccer. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll have our World Cup update segment and so much more. But as always, joining me is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you? I am good. An unusual jersey selection today. I've gone with Fenerbahce. Fenerbahce, and that is from where again? Turkey. Turkey. And uh, who is on the back this time? I know it's a Brazilian because that's what you do. One of my favorite all-time players, Alex de Souza. Alex de Souza. Pronounced Alex with two syllables, right? In Brazil, it would be Alex. Of course it would be, because I remember uh, when we did the World Cup a few years ago, we had a debate as to how to pronounce... Fred, F-R-E-D, the player that was playing for Brazil. And there was a point where we actually had a conversation in a meeting about possibly calling him, almost a, and turned into three syllables, Fredgy. Now, whoever it? suggested that is a moron. You should, should have gone with the American <laughs> way, Fred, to keep it simple. Well, I, I, I have a wonderful experience working with morons, and I continue to work with morons at times. All right, uh, Mr. Mossy, I am excited about today's show. We have so much to get to. Uh, shall we light this candle? Let's do it. All right, as always... First up, Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, indeed. As you heard, this is what I have to say about the state of American soccer. Major League Soccer is built on manufactured parity. Now, that is parity with a T, not a D. MLS's structure with the salary cap, the roster restrictions, draft orders, allocation money, etc., is designed to guard against too much competitive advantage and create relative equality between teams. Now, this produces a league 
where anyone can win. The haves versus the have-nots, or the two, three, four-horse race scenario that's a hallmark of most of the big leagues around the world, is not only undesired in MLS, it's actively combated against. Now, there has been some separation in MLS, largely fueled by spending disparity. But it's still a league of incredible parity relative to the rest of the world. In MLS's 22 seasons, 15 different teams have been to MLS Cup, and 12 different teams have won Supporters' Shield. The reason why Leicester winning the EPL title a few years ago was such a big story was precisely because it was such an anomaly for the EPL. When teams like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, PSG, Juventus, or Man City walk onto the field, they know, and everybody else knows, that they have a much better chance of winning because they've hedged their bets by spending more on better talent. And expectations from fans are adjusted accordingly. When was the last time you heard an MLS coach or a fan differentiate between games they're expected to win and games they're not? It doesn't happen. I like that in MLS, everyone has a chance to win. In one season, you can go from worst to first. In a sense, it's a purer form of competition because it's a more even playing field. MLS fans start each season with the genuine belief rooted in history that their team has a chance to win it all. For me, that's what makes MLS fun. It's what makes MLS unique. And it's what makes MLS, from top to bottom, truly the most competitive league in the world. And there you have it. That's my State of the Union. Mossy, thoughts? Well, it is a fascinating contrast because what's happening in Europe is concerning. We're living in the era of the super clubs and the leagues have become too top heavy. So I don't blame anybody for preferring parity. And it's not surprising that MLS went that route because it was founded by a bunch of NFL guys and the NFL takes great pride in right. its parity. But if you'll notice, it's not like everybody in the NFL goes eight and eight. You do have the New England Patriots. So I think the overall point is you want parity of opportunity, but not necessarily parity of results. And I do think at times MLS has drifted towards having too much parity. There are seasons where no team wins 50% of its games. It just feels like this sea of mediocrity where nobody's that good. So I think there's a balance there where you want everybody to have a chance to win, but it is nice to have certain franchises stand out and achieve a certain level of excellence. Right. I mean, even so, for example, in, in baseball, I would think baseball is better for having a team like the New York Yankees, the teams where as many people hate as love. I mean, that that is something absolutely a valid argument when it comes to these incredible super clubs that we ha- that we have out there and you know sometimes when we think about it now that's now that's from an entertainment perspective when you talk about the actual competition when a and, we, and I mentioned in my state of the union some of these elite teams these super clubs if you will when these players step on the field they are stepping on the field with the knowledge that they have been armed with the ability to beat let's say 70 to 80% of the teams that they are facing in league play because they have the most players and they have spent the money to, uh, to, ha- to be able to hedge their bets like that. That's an incredible sense of confidence that you would walk on the field with. And I'm not saying that the other team doesn't, doesn't try hard. But you know, as I mentioned, I, I was listening the other day to, um, I think it was the chairman of Crystal Palace. And he was saying, well, you know, we have this, the, these next five games. And he listed through them and he said, well, we're supposed to win this game. We're not supposed to win this game. We're, 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 if we win this, this is gravy. And that type of thinking does not happen in Major League Soccer. And I, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the competition. I also think it's a good thing for the, the fans. The other thing that I will submit to you, Mossy, and, and let me know if you agree with this. When a coach has success in Major League Soccer because of this parody, I give it more credibility and more credence and more value because of the fact that he or she is having success 
in this type of situation where it's not about just throwing the ball off. And I'm not discounting the ability and the value of having a coach who can manage the greatest players in the world. But ultimately, this, this coach them up type of mentality has kind of gone away. And now it's about how much money can you spend that's relative to where you're going to finish in the league. No, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. It's funny you mentioned Crystal Palace. We work with a guy, Ben Grossman, who's a Crystal Palace oh, yeah. fan. And he's told me that he would sign for Palace finishing 17th in the Premier League every season between now and the day he dies. And that's the mentality you're reduced to if you root for one of those clubs in Europe. He just wants them to be in the Premier League. He has no illusions of them ever winning anything. And you mentioned the Yankees. Baseball did get to a point where they felt like the Yankees had too much of an advantage, and they changed the revenue-sharing rules to create a more level playing field. And there's some sentiment growing for that in Europe uh, with financial fair play. That was one of the aims of that. There's even been talk about a Super League. Some people feel like, let those big clubs go off and do their own thing, and the rest of us can actually have a competitive league. So I think the general sentiment is your way here. But if that Super League were to happen, now keep in mind that it's all relative to who you're playing. So if that Super League happened, then you would have a situation of relative parity and certainly more parity than you've had in terms of their the leagues that they're playing right now that would that would be something interesting let me ask you this question we talk a lot about Pep Guardiola he's he's wonderful I think everybody loves him I think everybody respects him he will go down as one of the greats if Pep Guardiola was in a situation where all things were relatively equal and certainly much more equal you think that he would still be a successful coach because all that he has done has been successful at places that spend more money than anybody else and have the best players in the world. No, oh, yeah, there's definitely a Phil Jackson component to his coaching trajectory. I don't know. It's a, it's a question mark because he's only managed at Barcelona, Bayern, and Manchester City. He's not going to go City. manage at Stoke. Right. So you're right. It does leave open that question. Well, maybe in MLS, you don't have that question about a guy. If he wins, then you take it at face value. He was he did the best coaching job of anybody. That, you know, There's no question about it. So yeah, no, I think it's a fair point you raise. I think that someone like Patrick Vieira, who's talked about now as potential coach for, for a lot of different places, and, and I think he is a better coach for having the opportunity and the success that he has had and the challenge that he has had in Major League Soccer than had he gone a a different route. I think he would be very, very valuable and more so because of the time that he has had in MLS. Let me ask you this. Does it bother you at all the randomness in the playoffs? Because I think you want some level of uh, unpredictability, but if it's too much, then it sort of renders the regular season meaningless. You do want, to some degree, the playoffs to be an extension of the regular season. If someone was the best team over the course of six months, you want that to translate into the playoffs too. And we haven't always seen that in MLS. Does that bother you when a lower-seeded team that just squeaked into the playoffs gets hot at the right time and goes on a run and wins it? Do you think that's a good thing or bad for It doesn't bother me at all. I love the playoffs. I love this renewed sense of hope. And once again, when that happens, everybody says, ah, it's, it's, a, it's a new life. Now, some of them go away because they don't make the playoffs, but the ones that do, even though they might have had a bad season, there is the ability, this eternal optimism that things can happen and have happened. And that is also why when an MLS team wins both the Supporters' Shield and MLS Cup, for me, it's much more valuable because they have done it not just in that uh, that time frame of the regular season, but they have been able to take that form and to have it play out in what we're talking about here is a whole nother scenario. And it's not easy. I think seven teams have done it, including last year, the uh, Toronto FC doing it. So for, for me, your ability to physically and mentally be able to sustain what you have done during the year and to then do it in the postseason, that puts you at a whole nother level for me than a team that just squeaked into the playoffs and wins MLS Cup. And Toronto FC are showing signs of being 
that next dominant team. And I'm like, although as John Wooden famously said about UNLV, a lot of teams have won one in a row. So we'll see if they can really <laughs> string something together. But I'll end on this for me. Which club in MLS you think has been hurt the most by this emphasis on parity? Would the Galaxy have twice as many MLS Cups right now if there, there weren't all these restrictions and anybody could just spend as much as they, they could? And how do you see that? I think, I think you're talking about a lot of the new ownership that comes in and new owners. So people like Seattle, people like, yeah, yeah, to a certain extent, the Galaxy, that they play both sides. They, they benefit at times from not being forced to spend, but I think there's a lot of new ownership, especially as opposed to the old guard, that wants the ability to go out and to spend more money than they are necessarily allowed right now. And I think it wouldn't, be ne- it wouldn't necessarily be the teams in the big markets. In the big markets, Yes, those teams would have an advantage because they would be able to attract more players, but it would be fun if, if, if they completely did away with the restrictions to see who would rise to the top and, and juxtapose it with what is happening now under the restrictions, albeit some of the restrictions that have, that, that have gone away. But I don't think that we're going to see that for a long time. Moving on, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case. All right, as you heard, the dulcet tones letting us know that it is time for Mossy Makes the Case. Mr. Mossy, what do you have for us this week? Well, the Champions League round of 16 concludes this week. The big one, Barcelona-Chelsea, Wednesday live on FS1. It was 1-1, first leg at Stamford Bridge. Willian and Messi, the goal scorers. And my case is that Barcelona are not only facing Chelsea this week, but also the ghost of Real Madrid. Because Real Madrid have their mojo back. They won again over the weekend. Ronaldo scored two goals. He is on fire. And all of a sudden, this specter of Real Madrid winning 3-0, I think, puts enormous pressure on Barcelona and specifically Messi. Obviously, from a legacy standpoint, the biggest thing going on for Messi this year is the World Cup. But he also doesn't want to just surrender the club stuff to Ronaldo. Ronaldo has won the Champions League the last two years. Messi's gone out on the quarterfinals. And so if Ronaldo were to win it again, uh, I think that that'd be very problematic for Messi. If Barcelona don't win it this season, it it would mean they would have only won it once in the last seven seasons, while Real Madrid are going for four in the last five. So I think that does play into Messi's head and Barcelona's too. The specter of Real Madrid possibly winning it again, which is now looking like a distinct possibility again, I think adds another layer to what was already a fascinating game this week. Well, without getting too far ahead of themselves, if, if they were to go through here, it, let, let's say that the uh, Champions League final was today and it was Barcelona versus Real Madrid. Given where these two teams are right now, who would be the favorite? Boy, it's pretty close to even... Keep in mind, Barcelona did beat them 3-0 at the Bernabeu this season. Right. But I don't know. Like I said, uh, Real Madrid have this magic in the Champions League. I think, gun to my head, I'd lean towards Real Madrid. Really? Really? I mean, we, we talked about it last week a little bit with, with Sergio Ramos in that interview that he did after saying, we're back. And that was that was a shout-out to everybody understanding. And, and we know they don't have to worry about La Liga. That, 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 that is gone, and they can put all of their focus and attention on this. Can I ask you a really off-the-wall question? Yeah, sure. Are you ready to have some fun? Yeah. So Messi missed this weekend's game against Malaga yes uh, because of the birth of his child oh congratulations congratulations to the Messies yes Uh, now they were facing one of the bottom teams in La Liga they have a comfortable eight point lead at the top of the table so it was a no brainer what if she went into labor on Wednesday against Chelsea would he have missed that game for the birth of his child no. Or what if they were playing Real Madrid no. this weekend and it was close on the no. table? I think it is not relative to 
the fact that he's having a baby. It's relative to the fact that he's having a baby and they are playing an inferior, a very va- a vastly inferior. Now you're, you're a married man with multiple offspring, correct? <laughs> yes, uh, I've never heard it described so scientifically. But tell yes. me, <laughs> tell me how those negotiations would go with the wife, because th- these were two extreme right. examples: a game that's definitely missable right. versus what I gave you against Chelsea on Wednesday is a game that's unmissable. What if it was like they have a Five-point lead atop the La Liga table. They're facing Atletico Madrid. That gets into some weird conversations with the wife about whether this game is missing the birth of your child worthy or not. I mean, that... Yeah, I think it. I think it's. I think the mentality has changed. I remember having a conversation years ago with Bora Milutinovic, my coach from the national team, and he just could not fathom that a player could miss a game or would even consider missing a game for the birth of his child. That that has changed a lot. And I'm not saying it's for better or worse. It's just the way that that we have evolved, and now that we think about players maybe much more in terms of of human beings and the fact that we are let into their lives much more makes them makes them much more human and and I think it gives them a a, a ability to make that decision in a, in a more easier type of environment than it would have been in, uh, been in the past. Keep in mind, this was his third child, so he's already done this twice. But uh, let, let's move off this because we <laughs> want to talk about the game. Uh, a couple of big lineup decisions I have my eye on. Usman Dembele actually had a very good game over the weekend. His first campaign at Barcelona has largely been a disaster, but he's You've played, been down on played him, better though. lately. I know it's been an injury, was, but... was excellent right, this past okay. weekend against Malaga. And so now I'm wondering if he actually has a chance to work his way into that starting lineup. Now, Paulinho played pretty well also because... He he would be the other candidate whether you go with a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3. Keep in mind, they're still sweating out the fitness of Iniesta, who's been out with a hamstring injury, was hoping to make it back in time. But if Usman Dembele pops up in the starting lineup on Wednesday, that becomes a fascinating subplot. A guy they paid all this money to, he's been a peripheral figure all season, and all of a sudden their biggest game, and there he is starting, the young Frenchman. So I have my eye on that. And then Chelsea... Is he going to play Antonio Conte a striker or not? He seems to have fallen in love with this formation where Morata and Giroud are both on the bench and he starts Hazard as a false nine with William and Pedro. And, you know, I don't, it's very unpopular with Chelsea fans. If he does it and they lose, he's going to get hammered. And Conte, by the way, can't catch a break. Uh, <laughs> some people question Batshuayi, but there is not a living soul in the world that questioned them loaning out Kennedy. And he's gone on to do great things at Newcastle. And all of a sudden, he's getting dinged for that. How could you have loaned out Kennedy in January? And obviously, it goes without saying the Batshuayi thing looks like a disaster now because he's turned into Gerd Muller since he went to Dortmund. (laughs) And we'll talk about Dortmund in a bit. So those are the two big lineup things for me. Dembele and will Chelsea start a striker? How, How do you see this match playing out second leg at Camp Nou? I think that Barcelona takes him to takes him to town. I think really? I, I think that it's not even a question. I think they will have learned their lessons from that first leg. They got they got away with something there, you know, because William uh, was was all over the place, and he's been and he's been wonderful. So they're not going to let that happen again. Messi will have been rested up <laughs> for for the opportunity. So I think they go through. But so uh, just so I'm clear, you're saying that if they don't go through, and if they don't at the very least get to the final of Champions League this year. It's another knock on that whole argument of what Messi is and what Messi isn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Messi guy. I, sure. I, I clearly put him above Ronaldo. But the idea, the bottom line is people get hung up on the tangible stuff, yeah. the goals, the trophies, the awards. And for Ronaldo to win three in a row, that would be a major feather in his cap. Keep in mind, though, Wednesday's game, Chelsea unbeaten in the last eight matches against Barcelona, including their last four visits to Camp Nou. So there's something about Chelsea that gives Barcelona trouble, throws them off their game. We'll see if uh, 
that continues on Wednesday. But you don't week. think so. Not this week, Mossy. It's all, it's all Barcelona. Uh, you, you, you threw out a uh, crazy question at me, so I'm going to throw one back at you just to finish this segment off. But it does apply. We talk so much about Christian Pulisic, and we're going to talk more about him later in the pod. If at the end of this season the opportunity arose for him to go to either Real Madrid or Barcelona. What would you do if you were advising him? Generally speaking, I would advise any young player to go to Barcelona. I think they do a much better job of nurturing young talent, being patient with them. Although you look at that depth chart now with Coutinho, Dembele, uh, they're talking about signing Griezmann. Presumably if they sign Pulisic, let's say maybe they get off the Griezmann thing. Uh, he, that would be a bit of an issue, the depth chart there. But I, I, all things being equal, I would, I would say Barcelona over Real Madrid. You heard it right here. David Mossi says that Christian Pulisic at the end of this season is going to Barcelona. Breaking news. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, Mr. Mossi, thank you so much. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, as you heard, it's time for Ask Alexi. Uh, what are the people saying there, Mr. Mossi? All right, first up, at Era Boy, 14. Who do you feel will advance further in the World Cup from CONCACAF? Okay, so three CONCACAF teams, uh, one of them being Costa Rica in a group with Brazil, Switzerland, and Serbia. The other one obviously being Mexico in, for me, the group of death, Group F, Germany, Mexico, Sweden, and Korea. And then our friends from Panama in Group G with Belgium, Panama, Tunisia, and England. I don't think Panama is going through. I don't think that Costa Rica is going through. I think they had their moment four years ago, and it's back to reality for them uh, in Group E. So I think the best chance is Mexico, although, as I said, this is a group of death. I'm not worried about the Mexico-Germany game because I think Mexico plays up to the opponent. I'm worried for Mexico when they go up against Sweden and Korea where they say, well, we would have to get wins here, and sometimes they get overconfident. But I think Mexico is going to find a way to get the points that they need to finish second in that group and come out. Keep in mind, the Mexico and Costa Rica groups are crisscrossed with each other. So if presumably Germany and Brazil won those groups, even if Mexico and Costa Rica finished second, that would mean Costa Rica would have to face Germany in the round of 16. Mexico would have to face Brazil. And in that scenario, I would definitely give Mexico a better chance against Brazil than Costa Rica against Germany. So so Mexico is the correct answer. The, the only interesting thing about Mexico to me is we're going to talk up Chicharito, obviously, but sure. the degree to which Irving Chucky Lozano has become their best player. Now, I have lots of Mexican friends, and I, when I talk to them, that, that's the only player they want to talk about. They're pinning all their World Cup hopes on his shoulders. It's amazing. We were at uh, Austin, as I said, this weekend, and at one point we had this, uh, this huge crowd, and someone on stage was talking about the World Cup, and they mentioned Chucky Lozano. And this woman went nuts. She was she was screaming and yelling. I mean, he is a, an emerging star and someone that we will certainly be keeping our eye on. And look, anybody that scores goals is going to get attention. He is doing that. Next up, at Filmed by Jav, what do you think of uh, the NASL being canceled? So NASL is, while it's, I think it's more of a hiatus in turn. I don't want to be. I want to be fair to them. They have canceled the season right now. But look, this is this is this is not good for soccer. Anytime American soccer teams fold, anytime leagues fold, and unfortunately we have a long history of this happening. It is not good. It's not just not good for the players that are losing the jobs, but the men and women that work tirelessly, often for very little money behind the scenes, selling the teams and selling the leagues. This is a bad thing. Having said all that, what I'm curious about is how much of their problems have been of their own making. How much of uh, the situation could have been avoided 
had they been smarter about their business and smarter about the way, the strategy that they had going forward. You look at the USL, for example, and the way that they strategically, and I think very smartly understood that they needed to align themselves with MLS, and they did, and I think they have come out the other side better for having done that. But in general, it's not a good thing. We don't want to see this happening. But I think there has to be some return and understanding and examination of the people that were involved, the choices that were made, and most importantly, could this have been avoided with smarter management from top to bottom? Next up, at Zach Lalich, seven. There's always a number at the end of it that I forget to say. Will Timothy Weah have a future at PSG? Explain to the folks who Timothy Weah is. All right. He is the son of George Weah, who I found out uh, before becoming president of Liberia actually played soccer as well. Evidently, yes. Yes, I I know for a fact because I was marking him on uh, the day that he scored his first goal for AC Milan uh, in Syria. Wow. Great note. Yep. It's amazing how he keeps raising the bar for his kid. You know, his kid probably felt, I'd be, I'm playing Dad, PSG. I've, Dad, and, uh, I got my first minutes at PSG. Well, I'm, I'm president. <laughs> I'm president of Liberia. I got things to, things to do, yeah. A couple of things he does have going for him. In France, there's that extra domestic cup competition, like in England, the League Cup, which is a chance to play some young players. And also the fact that PSG often have such a big lead in the league, which is what's happened this season. They can afford to throw out some youngster late uh, late in the season. So if he stays there, he'll, he'll get to play his games. But as far as him, him ever carving out like a, a significant significant role there. It's hard to see with what PSG have become and what their focus is. They're not looking to develop young players. They're looking to buy superstars and win the championship. I mean, is, so. is there anybody that's from their development system that it's on their starting 11? Yeah. The, the amazing stat was that in, in the Champions League group stage, I want to make sure I get this right, they scored 25 goals and they, they conceded only like a handful. And the only goal scored by a PSG Academy product was one of the goals against them, Moussa Dembele in a PSG Celtic game. <laughs> so it's, it was... That's, yeah, that's not what they are. So, and it's all, it's in a strange way, it works against you to be from the youth system because they are such a buying type of team and they go out and amass the talent from, from outside. That is, it's almost as if I want them to go out in order to come back, come back in. But I, I regardless, I think that, that, I don't think that he has a future when it comes to PSG, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a bright and, and I think, very successful future. That is it. That is it for our Ask Alexi segment. Thank you so much. Uh, make sure that you send all of your questions with the hashtag Ask Alexi on Twitter, on Facebook, on all the different platforms that we have out there. And who knows? Maybe you'll find David Mossy reading your tweet or your message to us on the Ask Alexi segment. All right, moving on. World Cup update. Yes, it's time for our World Cup update. We are, as of this uh, recording, 94 days away from the World Cup. Can't wait. I can't wait. All right, what are we talking about today when it comes to uh, what's going to happen this summer in the World Cup, Mossy? All right, Alexi, we're going to delve into Argentina's attack. Which, on paper, it looks like an embarrassment of riches, but as we've discussed on this podcast before, that it hasn't always translated in big games and major tournaments. Uh, but, you know, all the big names, you know, Messi, Dybala, Higuain, Aguero, Di Maria, you could even throw Icardi into this group. Uh, the interesting thing is that late in that qualifying campaign, uh, Jorge Sampaoli, their manager, kind of lost the plot a little bit and decided to start guys like Dario Benedetto in do-or-die games. And, and Messi bailed him out with that hat-trick against Ecuador. The solution for me when a team 
team is struggling is never to put worse players on the field. You have to trust pedigree well, that's one and, way and, to go, yeah. and hope that stars uh, actually <laughs> come through in the end. Now, it looks like he's had some time to reflect, and we are going to see the big names this summer. How I think it's going to play out is Aguero is going to be starting up there alongside Messi. Iguain will be in the squad as a backup to Aguero. Uh, Di Maria will also be starting. The most fascinating guy for me is Dybala, because to me, he's Argentina's second best player right now behind Messi, but he's so similar to Messi right. that they actually struggle to play with each other. And Sampaoli kind of threw up his hands in qualifying and said, look, we don't have time to try to sort this out, so I'm just going to put Dybala on the bench for now, and, and maybe in the World Cup he can be a factor. And so now, again, Sampaoli's had more time and friendlies, and he's going to have a month of practice. So we'll see if he figures out a lineup where Dybala and Messi can play together, because otherwise that would be criminal to have a player like Dybala sitting on the bench the whole tournament. So, so, But the way you're seeing it, whether you want it or not, the way you see it happening is a potential Dybala and Iguain on the bench. Yeah. Di Maria, yes for you? Yeah, Di Maria Why? definitely starts. Uh, Some probably likes him. And he even he might even pop up in like one of those wingback roles, kind of like the role that Marco Alonso plays for Chelsea. Some probably likes his versatility. He's used him in a variety of ways. So, uh, And Messi loves him, loves playing with him. So Di Maria is a guy, despite his so-so form for PSG, he came up very small in that second leg against Real Madrid. I, I think he's a guaranteed starter this summer. So is it is it a mirror image type of thing where Di Maria plays better for country as opposed to club, but Messi plays better for club as opposed to country? Yeah, there's something to that. Now, keep in mind, Dimadi's numbers for PSG are very good, but it's a little bit of, you know, padding his stats against the dreck of Ligue 1. I mean, he had his chance against Real Madrid and came up small. I, I think he is a player that's kind of lost a step a little bit, but still, like I said, they, they like him. He's He's been a fixture in that lineup for a lot of years, so I don't think that'll change this summer. You don't think that there's any type of problem uh, when it comes to the group stage for them, do you? Argentina, Group D, Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, and Nigeria. Their first game against Iceland, there'll be a lot of attention. Uh, uh, from a traditional standpoint, you look at that and say, eh, whatever. But what Iceland has become, certainly a crowd favorite and is going to be once, even if for people that don't know this story, once the stories come out and people recognize what it is, there's going to be a lot of people supporting Iceland. It's a frisky little group. It's it's no joke. I mean, Iceland, I think, are, are, are a legit team and Croatia are very good. They're, they're, they were, frankly, my sleeper to go really far in 2014 and made me look like an idiot because they went out in the group stage. So It wouldn't I, be the first time. I, no, okay. uh, I'm not going to go down that path again, but I do think they're very good, and Modric, and Rakitic, and Nigeria, and they've played, and, it seems like they always play Nigeria, yeah. Argentina. I, I always think of the 94 match, was it Kanija who scored both goals, Maradona set him up, uh, in, you know, so I, that's the one I always harken back to, but they also faced off in 2002, I mean, they, they yeah, they faced Nigeria several times. Well, I, I, there's plenty of coaches, even coaches that are in this tournament, that will look at Argentina and say, cry me a river. <laughs> uh, in terms of the talent that they have. And it's one of the reasons why we want to watch it, to see if they can get all of this talent on the field at the same time. And from a coaching perspective, I think it's fascinating because as a coach, you have all of this talent, and can you find a way? And what you're telling me is, Sampaoli has said, I don't have enough time, especially as an international coach, to, to figure it out. So he's going to put some really incredible talent on the bench there going forward. What is your dream final this summer? Would it be Argentina, Portugal, Argentina, Brazil, Germany, Brazil? Do you have a quote-unquote dream final? I would like to see... Oh, that's good. I, I want to see Messi at least get the opportunity to do it. So I would love to see Argentina in the final. and But then I'd like to see someone different. So I know, with all due respect, Mossy, you know, I, won't, I don't care if Brazil is in the like final. Like an England, Belgium, like, somebody like that? That would be incredible. That would be incredible. Can you imagine if, if England <laughs> finally got back and then they play Argentina and, and Messi has his moment? Oh, 
that would be that would be crazy. But I would love to see I would love to see him get his moment because I don't think that I don't think Cristiano is going to get his moment with uh, uh, this this Portugal team. So I want to see what one of the greatest players and arguably the greatest player in the world does once again in that moment and that long shadow, uh, albeit of a small man, uh, Diego Maradona continues to hang over him until he gets that World Cup. All right, coming down the back stretch, moving on. The back three. All right, our back three. Uh, Masi, what do we have lined up here? All right, we've talked uh, lately about Christian Pulisic struggling to get into that Dortmund lineup. He was given a start over the weekend against Frankfurt and performed very well, involved in two of the goals. Dortmund had this dramatic 3-2 win. So uh, that was nice to see, huh? Pulisic responding to adversity. You know, this is the type of response that any coach uh, or any team, for that matter, wants. You want when you're told, no, you're going to sit down. You want you want someone to be fired up. You don't want them screaming and yelling and running all over the place. But you want them to accept the fact that this is what's happened and use it as fuel. So then when you are called upon, you come in bigger and better. And we've talked about that Christian Pulisic, with all of his success, it's come rapidly and it's come at a very young age. And so he has yet to go through these ups and downs. And I don't know if he's coming out of it, but it certainly was a good sign this weekend in terms of him getting his opportunity and then not letting it go and being involved on a continual basis, especially in key moments. So I I don't think that this is anything but positive in terms of how they view Christian Pulisic and then from a individual perspective, him passing with flying colors after uh, a period where it wasn't going great for him. All right, next up, the other big Champions League match this week, I think, is Manchester United hosting Sevilla. Second leg, it was nil-nil in Spain. United coming off a big weekend victory over Liverpool 2-1. Marcus Rashford scored both goals, so does that get him a start against Sevilla? What, what, what's the deal with Paul Pogba? He, uh, again, did start against Liverpool because of some injury, but people think there might be more to it than that. Mourinho's kind of fallen out of love with him, so we'll see his status. And remember, Mourinho took lots of criticism for his approach in the first leg. They were very negative, needed De Gea to make some spectacular saves. Uh, And frankly, even this weekend, even though they beat Liverpool 2-1, the fact that they only had 30% possession, people thought they sat back too much in the second half. So Mourinho is still dealing with that whole issue of style of play. Where do you see all that? What approach do you expect from him on on, uh, this week? And how do you think it all plays out? Well, as far as style of play, if you're surprised at any moment with what Mourinho is doing, then you're a moron. Okay, this is this is who he is. It's who he's always been. He makes no apologies for it, nor should he. Does it irritate people? Yeah, but it should come as no surprise to anybody that he gets pragmatic at uh, at certain points in the game, and sometimes even from the beginning whistle, that he shut it down at a point when people wanted him to throw caution to the wind and go for the jugular. That, that should not be a surprise. It's why he is great, but it's also why he, he takes so much criticism, especially when you compare him to someone more romantic like a Pep or a Jurgen Klopp. So it, it, was, it was not surprising to me either in the way that they got the result in Sevilla or in the way that they went about getting the result this weekend, because that's all he cares about. So now you come back, this is, this is dangerous, and I think Mourinho will be the first person to tell you that this is a dangerous team to play against, and that this is certainly not in hand. So I don't think you're going to see anything but classic Mourinho, where he is going to grind this game down, try to find this one, uh, this one goal. Now, the Rashford situation, situation is, is interesting. 
I don't know. You think he starts Rashford? I think he has a good chance, yeah. But do you think that Manchester United is better without Paul Pogba? No. If, if Pogba's healthy and in form, I think he, he has to be an automatic starter on really? the team. Yeah. There are people out there that do believe that Manchester United is better without Paul Pogba. This has been a popular word on this podcast. They're morons. All right. Well, here, here's me, to let, morons. <laughs> let me just say, though, what the damning thing for Mourinho is right after that nil-nil against Sevilla, right. the next game out, Atletico Madrid went there and scored five goals away to Sevilla. And so that makes people think that, it, that that's a shaky back line that if you had attacked them, United could have gotten a similar result to what Liverpool got against Porto or City got against Basel and put that tie to bed. And you saw that earlier this season when Liverpool were having all sorts of problems defensively. United went to Anfield, and he also played very negatively that game, got out there with a nil-nil, said, hey, a point away from home against a top six team is always a good result. And some people said, well, I don't know about in this situation because Liverpool are conceding goals to everybody else. So there's a feeling that Mourinho doesn't give his teams uh, he, he cuts too small a margin for error. And so now they're going back here with a dangerous scoreline because a scoring draw, they go out. They could dominate this game, be winning 1-0 late, and all of a sudden Sevilla get a goal out of a deflection or set piece, and all of a sudden they're out. So that, that would be the criticism of Mourinho. I understand why he does what he does, but sometimes he leaves his, his team too small a margin for error where he could make things easy for, for them. One, but, but you, so you want him to be somebody, somebody and something he's not? could be a little more flexible, and he could read certain situations and say, wow, this team's really struggling defensively. I think if we attack them a little bit more, we can get a good result here and spare ourselves the stress but of a what second it, What line. if take someone that's incredibly romantic and expansive and, and to, to use your word, or the opposite of your word, positive, but that's in the eye of the beholder. They're, if that's all they do, then they're not flexible either. I right? agree. I agree. And and Pep's been but they, but but they but they find well, all sorts little, of a, they're showered with love. It's a little more admirable to be stubbornly positive than stubbornly negative. But there there is a flaw there, nonetheless. I mean, Pep has been dinged over the years by not being flexible enough in some of these big Champions League games and just playing his style always in in some instances where it, it's not really uh, suited for that game. So. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think there's something to what you're saying. It goes both ways. Well, as you know, Mossy, you're always going to get at the benefit of the doubt when you're a romantic. Absolutely. All right. And lastly, what were your impressions of week two of MLS? Uh, the continued just incredible season. Two weeks in, the amount of goals, the unpredictable nature of the scores and and the results and how those results come about, whether it's LAFC just crushing RSL on the road, Diego Rossi, uh, the 20-year-old, being involved in all five goals, including getting two goals himself. Bob Bradley and his guys are just flying right now after the first two games, both games on the road uh, and looking very, very good. Whether it's Columbus crew with all the craziness off the field with the potential move, Jossie Zard is continuing on them getting another win to start off 2-0 in front of I think an announced crowd of 11,000 and once again we look at everything now under a magnifying glass that that uh, Columbus does on and off the field with this possibility of them moving uh, to Austin. A revamped LA Galaxy going to New York City and losing to NYCFC. So Patrick Vieira, 2-0 also. Atlanta United, who got crushed uh, the first week in Houston. They come back home in front of 73,000 people in Atlanta. Look, over the last few years and over the last decade, we have talked about the importance of Cascadia, and in particular, Seattle, when it comes to big numbers. I'm sorry, Seattle. You have, you have lost the crown. When it comes to relevancy and when it comes to impact, it's all about Atlanta right now. So 
you can scream and yell at me, uh, by the way. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter, <laughs> so you can continue to scream and yell at me. But what a spectacle on and off the field when it comes to Atlanta United in terms of the result, the goals that they score. Almiron scored a rocket from the top of the 18. So once again, it's, it goes back to what I talked about last week. This MLS season is on fire, and it's interesting, and it's something that I want to see each and every week because of the incredible talent, um, and I think because of the increased quality out there. And just to bring it full circle as we end out this podcast with my one big thing from today's podcast, it goes back to the incredible and unique parody that we talked about when it comes to Major League Soccer. For some people, it's a challenge and it's a problem. For me and for a lot of people, it is precisely why I love this league. It is something that is unique. It gives me as a viewer the feeling that each and every time I see a game and each and every time I see a team, that anything can happen. And that's, I think, something that most people want to see. When I am a supporter of Team X, whatever it ends up being, I know that because of history, I have a chance of being the Supporter Shield winner. I have a chance of going to MLS Cup. I have a chance of winning MLS Cup. And that cannot be said for a lot of teams around the world and from a lot of supporters out there. So as I've said before, you don't have to agree with me. As a matter of fact, many often don't. But let us hear from you. You can disagree with me. You can disagree with Mossy. Let us hear from you uh, when it comes to on Twitter, on Facebook, on all the different social platforms. I thank you for listening to the State of the Union podcast. Mossy, anything before we head out? There's some uh, forced parody on this podcast. I've mandated it that I get to speak uh, the same length of time as you. So, And it's making the podcast better, <laughs> I think. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with a whole other episode. Until then, please subscribe, rate, review. Hit us up on Twitter. Twitter, uh, Mossy, your Twitter handle is? At Statman Mossy. And I am at Alexi Lawless. You can find us on Facebook and all the different platforms out of there. It's always a pleasure. We will talk again next week. And until then, size the day. <laughs>